what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films. It's our year-end 2014 spectacular. Chris, are you excited? You've got your tuxedo on. I do. You've got, you know, party hat on, <laughs> as do I. We're all decked out, ready to go. Jay, our engineer, he's all decked out as well. We're all ready to close out 2014, by the time you're probably listening to this show, you've probably gone through Christmas and now it's maybe close to New Year or maybe New Year just passed. Either way, looking back on the year 2014, my co-host Chris, how are you, man? I'm doing. I'm doing good. I'm I'm ready to do the show. I I actually had uh, the flu come up and slap me in the head yes. and uh, knock me down for a little while, but uh, do the magic of Tamiflu. Uh, which my doctor prescribed me. I'm I'm now on the rebound. I highly recommend that for people who have the flu. Yeah. Go to your doctor and see if he'll give you Tamiflu. If my voice sounds a little muffled, it's because I'm wearing a hazmat suit at the moment <laughs> to make sure I don't get whatever you're coughing about right now. Right. I've Wise. actually heard our engineer coughing a little bit in the background. My goodness, this is... I don't need to be trapped in the studio for the next 45 minutes or so. Probably with true. With all that's going on. So, <laughs> uh, hopefully I can come out of this unscathed. You as the viewer and listener, you've got the luxury of hearing us talk without having to worry about any exposure to germs over the next little bit. That's our gift to you. It is, is a flu-free podcast. <laughs> well, it being the last episode of 2014, we are planning on recapping some of our accolades from the year. Some of the best, some of the worst, and some other categories in between that we're going to throw out there as well. So we're going to hit a few of those categories first. We've got a little bit of movie news to talk about. Then when we come back in the latter half, we're going to count down our top four, being 2014, top four films for each of us over the course of the past year, the worst film we saw this past year, and also do a little looking forward into 2015, some films that we're expecting or have high anticipation for going forward. That sound like a good plan, Chris? Yes. Awesome. Let's go ahead and jump right into it then with no, no delay here. We do have a few categories that are just kind of little fun little categories we like to come to come up with. That are kind of giving a little bit of hints maybe to some of our top films of the year later on. Maybe, maybe not. First category we're looking at is what we're considering our biggest surprise from 2014. Chris, typically when we say surprise, we're talking about we either went in with really low expectations or we just didn't think much about the film. And it really surprised us. It kind of went over and above what we thought was possible for the year. So, Chris, I want to hear what is your biggest surprise from 2014? My biggest surprise was a movie that I had just been hit over the head with previews uh, throughout the summer. Just kept seeing them, and I'd heard of the book, and it just looked it looked awful. Um, the movie is called The Fault in Our Stars. Okay. Um, even though it wow. had Shailene Woodley, okay, who I like, I'm a big I'm a big fan of hers. But you know, you know, everyone out there, even if you haven't seen the movie, you pretty much know this is a movie. It looks like a Nicholas, a bad Nicholas Sparks movie, which yes. I can't really say that because I don't, don't think I've actually even seen any Nicholas Sparks movies. But I've seen the trailers. You're condemning Mr. Sparks just by I am by the trailers by and trailers. whatever I hear people saying. But you know, it's like that's what it looks like to me, and that's okay. what this movie looked like. And it just seemed, you know, it's a doomed romance. These two kids, young kids, 
they have cancer and mm-hmm. they fall in love and it's just like, but you know, both of them have terminal cancer. Right. And so you're just like, I don't, why, why do I want to watch this? This is mm-hmm. just not going to be good. But it, I was, I was wrong and I was surprised how much I liked the movie. Wow. Okay. Um, is it still sad? Well, yes. Um, but there's, there's enough there about the human nature of these two people kind of saying, okay, yeah, this is kind of a raw deal, but we're going to make the best of it we can. And, um, I think it probably helps that it was based on a book by, I think his name is John Green, Josh Green. Can't remember his name because oh, I haven't read, actually read the book. <laughs> but um, the fact that it was based on a book, I think, gave it a little bit more meat on the bones, mm-hmm. I guess, so to speak. Um, well, come I, to think of it, too, Chris, if I can recall, you know, bring back your memory here. You and I actually had to lead a discussion about this movie, even yes. though neither of us had seen it. Yes. Several months ago at a local bookstore, we were asked to come in and talk about uh, book-to-film adaptations. Right. And uh, all of the people, the young girls who attended, uh, were there to talk about The Fault in Our Stars. And neither of us had read the book or seen the movies. We were kind of at a loss. Right. Now it sounded like, you know, you, you kind of see where it's coming from on that. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't have been more surprised. And the guy who is in the film, who's her co-star, Ansel Egort. I'd never heard of him, and mm-hmm. I think he's relatively new. But um, Shailene Woodley, she plays the lead female who the story's Hazel is mm-hmm. the character's name. Mm-hmm. And it was just amazing. Would the film have been as good without her in it? I don't know. I think it still would have been good. She's she's a really good actress. I'll give her that. So I'm, uh, um, that's the one aspect of the film I've read about that I'm actually kind of anxious to see it myself is because I do think she's a really good actress. And until, mm-hmm. you know, after seeing this film, I liked Shailene Woodley already. And I was like, you know, I think there is no movie that Shailene Woodley can't save. Well, unfortunately I went ahead and saw Divergent. Yes. I was going to say that. And may have been even though line. it is no fault of hers, mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's fine. But that movie is horrible, and unfortunately, they're making a sequel because it was yeah. a series of books. Well, there's a whole well. series of books for those. It's as like well. it's Hunger Games, but slightly different. But it's that same teen sci-fi type yeah. thing. And man, it's it is it makes Hunger Games look like Gone with the Wind. I mean, it's yeah. oh, it's bad. But anyways, get back to the point. Biggest surprise, Fault in Our Stars. I had no, cool. I, I I couldn't. I would. It would be like me going to see. Fifty Shades of Grey mm-hmm. and liking it. That's about how surprised I was well, that I liked this movie. We will check back with us at the end of the year 2015. Maybe your biggest surprise will be <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. Who knows? It, it may be. <laughs> well, my, my big surprise, and, and it's not even a big surprise, but I did look at the list. Honestly, I had very few surprises this year okay. in general. I mean, the films I expected to do well were good films. The films I expected were not going to be that great weren't that great. Um, one film that I really went in with no expectations at all and came away really enjoying it. Actually, it's, it's not in my top 10 for the year, but it's really close for okay. a film that I didn't think was going to register anything. It was uh, John Favreau's Chef. Okay. I really enjoyed Chef. Uh, to me, I had not seen John Favreau as a director before. Even though I know he did Iron Man, which I enjoyed Iron Man, I didn't enjoy Iron Man because of the direction. Sure. I enjoyed it because Robert Downey Jr., the, the character, the franchise, and all that. And I think outside of that, John Favreau has done, he did Zathura, which was just forgettable um, kids movie. Beyond that, I mean, I know he did, um, he wrote Swingers many years ago, but he didn't direct that. Okay. He directed Made, which was not as great. So going into a film, we showed this film, uh, Chef, 
for our foot candle film screening. It was one that was available. I wasn't terribly excited to see it. But come to find out, it was a really fun movie. It's not very deep. doesn't have a whole lot going on, even from a directoral standpoint. There's not a lot there. It's just he packaged it just right to make it a really fun, entertaining movie that you didn't have to think too much about. Yes, it was cliche in places. Yes, it was predictable. But it was a fun movie that I think really worked the food angle into the movie very well. And sure. I mean, you come away from the movie extremely hungry. That's a pretty good sign that they, <laughs> they worked the food angle pretty good. So I was honestly surprised by Chef at how high it rated at my end of the year listing of films, considering I really went in with zero expectations of anything for it. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good surprise. I was going to say, add to that, that recommendation kind of that, Maybe it would be a good family film for the holidays, but it does have mm-hmm. language. It, so it's I guess, rough on the language side. So I guess if you have like high school, older kids yeah. or something like that. It's and then fine. And friends. it's not like hateful language. It's no. just rough adult rated R independent film language. Right. Um, but otherwise, it's a really upbeat. I mean, yeah. it ends on a really great note. And it's just it's a good, fun movie. So I was really impressed. I hope he keeps making smaller films. Of course, now he's working on The Jungle Book. Right, uh, live action adaptation for Disney. So I would imagine that's a pretty big budget film. Uh, Bill Murray is as Baloo, the voice of Baloo, the bear. They got a lot of big cast in doing the voice of real animals talking. So yeah, it's going to be a big budget deal. But I hope he keeps playing around in the independent, you know, smaller film arena before too long. It'd be interesting to see. If he's just doing that as like a cash movie and then he mm-hmm. does another movie after that, kind of like Chef, you know, to see yeah. what he does. It'll exactly. be interesting. Now, we also broke out another category here we call our best discovery from the year. And really what that means is something we either a person, a, a actor, director, writer, anything that would just we learned about this year that maybe we had not been as exposed to, had not seen anything of theirs before as much. Uh, or hadn't really taken notice, and we really saw it as a discovery for this year. So, Chris, what what is your biggest discovery this year uh, of 2014? Um, I I have two, but I'm going to just do one and see if you mentioned mention the other one, and then if you don't, then I'm going to mention it. Okay, so sure. technically, I have two, but I don't want to I don't want to steal your thunder. You just don't want to. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Just in case, I'm trying to play fair um, here. I appreciate that. So, uh, it's a double. It's both a movie and a director okay. because I think this movie wouldn't have really been made without any other director. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie is blue ruin, which I okay. spoke about and recommended. Mm-hmm. And then the director is Jeremy Saunier or Saunier, something yes. like that. But it's basically, um, crime genre movie and it's a noir. And it's done kind of in a Coen brothers, blood simple type mm-hmm. aspect, but it's just, it's really unique and turns a lot of things on its heads and has you know, ideas about what you think is going to happen. It has twists. Mm-hmm. And for such a violent graphic movie, it's kind of funny in places, mm-hmm. but it's not like laugh out loud slapstick. It's just situational. And it's just, it's a very unique vision of the movie. So the director, I'd never heard of him before. Right. Um, I'd never heard of this movie and then started hearing, you know, little bits here and there. Didn't get a wide release. I think it played festivals and then basically was on iTunes, and that's mm-hmm. how I ended up seeing it. Cool. Um, and the lead actor guy, also really good, never heard of him before, Macon Blair. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a the movie, the director, and the actor, Macon Blair. So there you go. No, that's great. And that's, that's one I have not got to catch up with yet. It's still top, really near the top of my list to watch before too long. I am almost got that a little bit as a regret just because I've mm. heard you talk about it. 
and so many other places talk about how great the film is. The fact that I haven't seen it yet, I'm a little regretful for. Well, there's a chance this could have been your second one. I, and this is a film that I saw at a film festival. We showed here at the screening. I did not get to sit in at our foot candle screening because I was out of town. But it's okay. I saw the film the first time around. It's Ida by Paul Pawlowski. 1960s Poland. It's a story about Anna, young nun. She's about to take her vows, but before she does, the uh, they really want her to go back and visit with some of her family, who she has not really ever connected with. And during that time, she learns a little bit more about her family history back during the Nazi occupation. Uh, I love this film because it's simple, fairly simple. Um, the cinematography is outstandingly beautiful. And to me, it's a discovery because this is a director that supposedly has been making many, many films and really well-renowned in Poland, but I'd never heard of him. Right. never seen any of his films. This is the first one I think that's really made any kind of splash here in the United States. Uh, it is kind of the, the head-on favorite right now to be Best uh, Foreign Picture nomination, maybe winner at the Oscars this year. Um, to, to me, it was really kind of a revelation to see it and to know that this is from a director that's been around so long I've never heard of. Um, so not only the film, but the director, kind of like you with Blue Ruin. It's the, Both of these I saw as discoveries. Um, Ida didn't quite make it into my top five or six for the year, but it came really close because I just really did enjoy watching this um, and just taking it all in, the quietness, the subtleness of it, but also the use of didactic music throughout the film as well when it was appropriate. All of that just really worked out really well for me. Was that the second one you I had? I am so glad I kept my mouth yeah. shut. <laughs> okay. For all those reasons you said, mm-hmm. Ida was also a discovery. Um, you'd seen it at the film festival, and yes. then I actually, when we had the film screening here in Hickory, you were away, and so I had to kind of host it by myself, which kind of worked because that way I was coming into it blind. I hadn't seen it, mm-hmm. and I was bowled over. I was yeah. like, well, no wonder Alan didn't mind seeing this again, didn't mind bringing this again to the film society yeah. because, yeah, it was really – amazing mm-hmm. um and i i i hope that it uh does win for best form from grant i'm saying that without having seen any of the nominees there's really the only two but, films i hear getting any buzz for best form picture are ida and force majeure okay that's it i mean there's a few others i mean they released the short the uh, the shorter list of sure. nine last week or this week and both of those were on it. Okay. That's the only two i hear getting any kind of buzz so if any other one were to win it would be kind be of a, a shock a shock I think it's going to be one of those two, and I would not be surprised if it was not Ida, because I'd really think the cinematography alone is just blowing people away. I think people love watching this film. I mean, the cinematography, the two lead actresses Mm -hmm. who share the same name, and I cannot remember, is it Anna, but then they have different last names? or Right, yes. I know the main character for sure is Anna, and then you've got um, Wanda is the aunt character. But with the actresses' names, I think. Oh, yes, no, you're right. They're both Agata, P-G-A-T-A. That's it, yeah. Yeah, They're both their real names. Um, They are just outstanding. And, um, you know, for people who... Maybe don't want to have to like slog through a. You hear all this talk about a foreign film and the subject matter. Alan talked about. Don't don't lose heart. Yeah, it's eighty minutes. It is very short and it's not terribly wordy. It's not yeah. one where you've got to read subtitles like no. nonstop or something. Um, it is it is a very slow, deliberately paced movie. Uh, just soak it in. Let the story take on what it does. There are a couple of interesting turns in the in the film later on that um, kind of. Will, I don't know. It's just, it's a good, it's a good film. Absolutely. I'll say that. All right, good. So that was my biggest surprise. So both films that were kind of small films that we were choosing as discoveries, Ida and Blue Ruin, we've got there. Now, 
we talked about also kind of this idea of regret. Mm-hmm. You and I are mere mortals. We can only <laughs> see so many films in a year. And Chris, you outpace me so much more too on number of films to see in a year. I put together my list and it's a relatively short list of films I saw this year. Uh, there's a lot of films I did not see. Um, I will say, and I'll, I'll go first on this one if that's okay. okay. Yeah, absolutely. My big regret right now, the film that I really desperately wanted to see this year that I have not seen yet is Whiplash. That's okay. the film that I really, really like J.K. Simmons when they give him a good meaty part to chew on. Okay. This looks to be the meatiest part that you could chew on for an actor like him. And just Miles Teller, I'm really kind of growing to like after the spectacular now. Mm-hmm. So the rave reviews this film's been getting, the fact that it is based on music, which I just love movies about music, J.K. Simmons in it, great reviews. I'm like, man, I really wanted to see this film, and I have not got to see it yet. So that's my biggest regret for this year. Is that Granted, I guess I can't take it too much upon myself here in Hickory. It hasn't come anywhere near us. Right. But I hate the fact that we haven't had an opportunity to see it before the year end. Um, what's really weird, um, mm-hmm. Miles Teller is another one of those people who I do I do like. And he has a tie to Shailene Woodley because, like you said, they were both in Spectacular Now. They're both in Divergent as well. Yeah. I thought and that was actually, interesting. actually, even weirder than that, the guy from Fault in Our Stars is also in Divergent. So, so they're all just three bouncing of them, everything around the same little group of actors And here. it can't help. Yeah. Divergent is still a horrible Well, movie. supposedly Miles, Te- <laughs> Miles is a teller or a teller? I think or it's teller. 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 Miles Teller has kind of gone on record a little bit of being somewhat disappointed with the insurgent or divergent. Or well, it was divergent, and the new one's going to be yeah. insurgent. Supposedly, he's not terribly happy about being in those films. Really? And, yeah. Interesting. So, um, huh. Although I got to tell you, Miles, don't bite the hand that feeds you, man. Because Jennifer hey, Lawrence, look what happened. Exactly. With her. Yeah. Do not talk trash about the big franchise movies. Talk about it with your friends behind closed doors. Don't <laughs> go on the press and do that. It's a little piece of advice from yeah. Foot Candle Films to you. There you go. So we got a couple regrets. What's your regret? I didn't hear your regret. Well, I, I regret. Whiplash, but the one that I'm going to list, which I think you'll jump on board as well. There again, we live in Hickory. We're not in New York. Yeah. We're not in L.A. Uh, inherent Vice. Oh, well, yeah. Paul yeah. Thomas Anderson. I guess I've, that one I hadn't really considered a regret yet because I know it's still rolling out in, in theaters. But, yeah, I definitely – that would be my number two. I don't want to hear any more about it. All I yeah. know is it's you know based on a novel, but it seems kind of like a – take on a big Lebowski type long goodbye, you know, it just, it, it has a huge ensemble cast. I just, I think it's Paul Thomas Anderson where I'm going to appreciate him more. Mm-hmm. You know, he got serious with, um, there will be, t- blood, there will be blood and the master. And, the master and not that those weren't well-made films, but they just, they were punishing to me. Yeah. And so I'm ready to see him seemingly having fun again yeah. and not beating me over the head with a moral. Well, I think I told you the other day, I actually cranked back up Boogie Nights just to, I watched Magnolia again a couple months ago. I watched Boogie Nights again, at least part of it, uh, just the other day. And yeah, that's the energy level I'm hoping gets closer to with Inherent Vice. I love The Master. It was one of my favorite films Hmm. of the year it came out. Um, There Will Be Blood was actually one of my bigger disappointments the year it came out. I just, I need to go revisit that film again. But you're right. I'm ready for a little bit more of the energy, the light, a little bit lighter touching to come back into his films, and it sounds like Inherent Vice may be the one. So you're right. That's definitely my, my number two Okay, uh, regret of not seeing as well. So Sounds good. Okay, Chris. Now, before we go to a break and then talk about some news, let's go ahead and get one bad category out of the way. Sure. Disappointment. This is not saying this is the worst film we saw. 
Right. This is just a film that we feel like in looking back in the year disappointed us from where it could have been or we were hoping it would have been with that going into it. Chris, what is your biggest disappointment for the year? Mine is a tie. Okay. Uh, first, no surprise to our listeners because we just talked about it recently, would be Interstellar. Okay. Um, just the potential of Nolan, the cast involved, mm-hmm. the subject matter. My hopes were sky high. And not that it is not a bad movie, but it just could have been it's so certainly much, not so a bad much movie. But <laughs> it could have been so much more. Well, and I do encourage listeners, you want to hear Chris spend quite a bit of time explaining with good arguments what he did not like about Interstellar. I think that was just our last episode. So I believe it was. That's one you can go back and check out. Tied with so. one I even spend more time talking about why I didn't like, which would be Birdman. Um, but, but, uh, so Interstellar, yes, disappointment. But I'm tying that with a film much earlier in the year that I was really looking for. Both of these films actually were on two films that I was looking forward to mm-hmm. in 2014. I had them on a list. One was Interstellar. The other one was Noah. Okay. Huh. Um, Noah, you know, it was Darren Aronofsky. Yeah. It's Russell Crowe. It's Anthony Hopkins. I mean, it's, you know. Yeah, a lot going for it. Yeah, Jennifer Connelly. It's got, you know, good actors, Ray Winston. I mean, good actors. And just the fact Darren Aronofsky is making Noah? Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and just like, why? What is he doing? Was he going to try to. And I just, there again, had such expectations for it and wanted him to do something really good or really just interesting. And instead, it was. Kind of by the numbers, except for the Transformer Rock people. I got to give him that. He did throw that in there. Yeah, I still want to see these Transformer Rock people. I've heard a lot of people talk about them, but I've never actually, I haven't seen the movie. So Because at that when that happened, and that's very early on when that shows up, you're like, Do, okay, what? <laughs> so I was like, okay, is that where this movie's going? But then it kind of settles back in and it's normal and kind of hmm. not by the numbers, but just very average. So, so you were disappointed more that it was just not more daring. Yeah, or bringing something really um, interesting and keep kept me engaged, and it didn't it didn't do that. And for Aronofsky not to do that, I was kind of well. I was I was when I saw the previews for Noah and I read about it. I was actually a little just disappointed because you look at Aronofsky's previous two films, which I believe the two before it were Black Swan and The Wrestler. Yeah, both of those films I loved, Mm -hmm. The Wrestler especially. Mm -hmm. So I love this style of a little bit more intimate smaller scale movies that Aronofsky was making with the last two. Right. Cause he'd come off the fountain, I believe before he did the wrestler. Right. Which was big, grandiose and bizarre high, high concept. Yeah. So when Noah started to take shape, it looked like he was going a little more to a big, big concept, big blockbuster movie. And which, you know, they're going to have floods. I mean, you know, yeah, that, that was not as appealing to me. I was sure. really hoping he'd stay in the small personal story. Meal the you a little bit more. Well, on that note, and I want to get you to talk about your mm-hmm. disappointments. Um, you haven't done yours yet, right? I have not. Yeah, I've hogged the airtime. But that's okay. I do want to say that's kind of my thinking was that that's why I was looking forward to it so much because if somebody's going to give us a big blockbuster spectacle movie, do I want it to be Darren Aronofsky as mm-hmm. opposed to Michael Bay? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was wanting him doing no. I was like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Similarly, mm-hmm. uh, one of my most anticipated movies of 2014 was also Exodus, Gods and Kings by which Ridley Scott. You probably haven't seen yet, have you? Which I have not seen, yeah. and I don't know that I will see because it has just gotten trashed. I am curious, though, because I would like to weigh it and say, yeah. okay, both directors, I, both, I like them both. You know, Ridley Scott, Darren Aronofsky, 
They both took on, you know, biblical stories that everybody knows. So what are you going to make fresh? Biblical stories that have a little bit more of a grounded reality to them in some places. Sure. You know, supposedly Exodus, you know, the, the, the things that happen, some of the, you know, the parting of the Red Sea and all that has a little more actual reality-based right. reasons for things. So I'm in, I'm interested in it, but I haven't got enough energy to go see it yet. Well, and you know, you just you don't get any encouragement from any reviews that yeah. you hear or any people that have seen it. They just trash it. So I'm curious to see does it succeed any better than Noah? But that's yeah. my only right interest in seeing it at this point. So those are so, that's a disappointment that I'm not sure is there, but I'm yeah. pretty sure. So Interstellar and Noah, both yeah. films from from directors you like that you were really anxious to see their next work, and both let you down yeah. quite a bit. Um, What's my yours? disappointment, my disappointment is one of those where I really, it, it, it causes me to question my ability as a film reviewer. Oh, come on now. No, no, it does. Don't do that. Because this is a film that every other single person in the world loves and will probably, chances are high, walk away with best picture this coming year. But for me, it was a disappointment and it's huh. boyhood. Boyhood was my biggest disappointment for the year. And now granted, I still, when I rank it top to bottom films of the year, it's in the middle of the pack. It is not a bad movie at all. It is a good movie. It's one I do look forward to seeing again sometime in the future. But as far as going in with this really high level concept, Richard Linklater, a director Mm. I really like, everything about the film was just clicking for me. And then I saw it and I walked away saying, eh, okay. I mean, the concept was cool, but nothing else worked for me on this. So I don't really understand. I mean, if there was a, if there was a award for best film concept, yes, give it to Boyhood. <laughs> Absolutely. It wins it hands down. Absolutely. I'd even give Ethan Hawke maybe uh, uh, some acting recognition and because he was really good. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, though, I, mean, I know we talked about this during our show. I just I walked away just not quite knowing what it was I was supposed to get from that. What? Other than the fact that, hey, isn't it cool that we film with the same actors over a 12, 14-year period? Right. Um, that's all I got from it. And it was just a, such a disappointment to, to see all these reviewers now claiming it the best film of the year. And I'm like, I just, I don't get it. That's kind I of, I really don't get it. That's kind of been surprising to me as well. And I, I've actually, I heard a reviewer the other day say that they've now seen this film, which I guess they just took off six months of their life to be able to do it. But they've now seen it like three times. Hmm. And every time they go back and revisit it, they get more and more out of it. And I'm just like, I can't imagine. I'd be curious because the film is like almost three hours long. Yes, it's long. I'd be curious to see. I mean, I liked it okay, but I'm I'm in the same ballpark with you. Mm. If I were to revisit it, would things then dawn on me that yeah. maybe the artifice of how maybe. the conceit of the film would fall away and I would get more like stuff out of it? But I just, I, I really, I really honestly... It wasn't a film like it just turned me off on, uh, right away and I was just dour on the movie the whole time I'm watching it. I'm honestly, I was striving to connect with it the mm-hmm. whole time. Like, come on. I know there's going to be a moment, there's going to be a scene, there's going to be a dialogue or something that's just really going to pull me in and I never got it. So it wasn't for a fault of not trying to want to love this film. Sure. Um, so there again, it's not a bad film. I can credit myself honestly this year. I, the number of films I've seen that I can consider bad films are very, very small. Because my time is limited as it is, when I go out to see a film, it's normally a film I've vetted some, to some degree. Like, it's, I'm not going to go out and just see crap, you know? <laughs> sure. It's normally films I've either heard good things about or I'm desperately wanting to see. So my chance of seeing bad films is really low. It's low. But, so that's why when I say this is in the middle of the pack, it's in the middle of the pack of a batch of really good movies. Sure. But the fact that I rated Neighbors, the Seth Rogen comedy, 
above boyhood as far as a film I enjoyed wow. this year. Wow. That shouldn't happen. <laughs> that should not happen. But it did. So Especially because that has Zach Efron in it. Yes, that's exactly why it, it, it that all Mackie gets the three bumps up on my ranking <laughs> because of the Zach Efron effect. Uh, no, just boyhood is a disappointment for me. Huh. Uh, not a bad film, just a disappointment. Sure. I do not see it as a best picture winner, but I've got a feeling it probably will be. Hmm. Um, now I've got one other subcategory under disappointment before oh, we go okay. to the break. If that's okay. Absolutely. Uh, just because this one's more of a personal thing for me. I don't consider this the biggest disappointment because I knew this film was not going to be that great. Hmm. It definitely lived up to the hype of not being great when I saw it. I can't wait to see what this is. The, the problem for me is that this character that the film was about is a character very, very near and dear to me and that I grew up idolizing this superhero spider-man yeah and i knew that this amazing spider-man 2 was not going to be a good film the minute i saw the trailer i'm like nope this is going to be crap i can already tell but i went in hoping that maybe it was going to pull out some sort of miracle and just get me with something and it was really i call it my my crushed fanboy (laughs) award because i wanted so desperately for it to work on some level and it just didn't sure um there were some moments where it came really close to getting it right. And it just stumbled every step of the way. It fell prey to the whole, we got to cram in way too many bad guys, way too many plot lines in a film when it didn't need it. Sure. You could have made a powerful film with still the Peter and Gwen Stacy relationship, one bad guy, and you could still go the dramatic route at the end that this film did. And that would have been enough of a film. But instead it's like, I think there were like three villains and it was just all this other random stuff going on, and it was just overpacked. This I was hoping when they relaunched this whole Amazing Spider-Man franchise that they were going to go as far away from camp as possible. Mm-hmm. But with the second one, they veered a lot further back into camp, and that just really turned me off. I really liked the first Amazing Spider-Man with with uh, Garfield. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Andrew. Andrew Garfield. I think he's great as Peter Parker in Spider-Man. It's just this movie, man, they lost all the mojo they had from the first movie. And now I just want them to redo it and start over again. <laughs> so we're probably going to get another origin movie in the next five years. So just go ahead and be prepared for that. So. Yeah, I, I remember this is one of the rare exceptions where you and I actually got to go see this movie. at We saw it at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking out of there and I was just like tearing the movie apart. And I yeah. was, you know, you were just kind of there with me. And like, I was, yeah, hard. If you remember after that, I was trying so hard to fight for the film because I wanted to say <laughs> that there was something good on it. But after I walked away and really let it process for all, I'm like, no, no. there's just <laughs> nothing really worked in this film. So I don't say it's my biggest disappointment because I knew it was going to be pretty bad going that in. way. I just, I had that little glimmer of hope down deep <laughs> that maybe they were going to pull out something good. And my fanboy dreams got crushed. And so that's that. Okay, so we've gotten some of our smaller categories out of the way. What we're going to do is take a quick break, come back. We might hit a few little movie news items, things going on in the news, because there are some interesting movie-related news items going on right now. And uh, then we'll come back, and we're going to do our top four films of the year, as well as our worst film of the year, and give a little sneak peek into 2015 as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films in just a moment. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised... 
back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Before we get back into our show, just as a reminder, you can go back in time and visit and listen to any episode we've recorded since the beginning of this show. Chris, quick, what was our very first episode? What was the review of the film for? That's easy. Uh, That was Win-Win. Win-Win, the film Win-Win with uh, Paul Giamatti. Yes. Several years ago. That was our first episode. All of them are available on TheMesh.TV. They're also available on iTunes. You can go onto the Apple iTunes podcast store, download any of them. But more importantly, hit that little subscribe button when you're there too. What that means is every time we put out a new episode, you're going to get it downloaded to your iTunes, iPhone, iPad, whatever device you use to listen to podcasts. It's right there ready to go. That's what we really recommend people do is give uh, hit the subscribe button. Also, give us a star rating if it's something where you're so inclined. We also love written reviews, but, you know, if you're not the word guy, you don't really enjoy writing a whole lot, the easiest thing to do is there's a little star rating. Give us a star rating. Give us some feedback. We'd really appreciate it. Helps us get more listeners, which is It does, absolutely. And then it's also something where, you know, we want to keep having a dialogue and a a conversation going with our listeners. So if you have any questions or thoughts, you can write into info at themesh.tv. Um, and also footcandle.org is our film society website where we typically post the screenings that we're hosting in Western North Carolina. And, uh, also we post episodes of the, uh, this show on that website as well. So a lot of different ways to connect with us, Chris, before we get back into our year end extravaganza, where we're going to talk about our favorite films of the year and even our worst film of the year. Yes. Um, uh, over the last couple of weeks, there's been some interesting movie related news, quite national news. Uh, which is kind of unique for something happening to a movie studio, but this has kind of gotten the, the zeitgeist of the whole world going on right now. A little quick background for those of you who've been living under a rock for the last little bit, or maybe this is your first interaction with the outside world. You've been living like a hermit. This is the all woods. the buzz about Smurfs 3? Smurfs 3, yes. Okay. It has been green-lighted. Excellent. It is going forward. Excellent. I think, uh, <laughs> no. I think Hank Azaria's got some role in it. I can't remember. Awesome. <laughs> no, this is all about Sony Pictures and the hack that supposedly North Korea hacked the Sony Pictures Studio uh, network and has taken all this stuff, all this information of what Sony Pictures is doing, salaries, passwords, movie plans, email conversations, and just dumped them out on the world. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Now, supposedly, if North Korea did in fact do this, which right now the United States believes it, it, they did, but... And not just Sony believe the United States... The United States, through their like research, has said... The CIA or the North FBI Korea. or whatever. That just came out this week. Okay. And, you know, we're not going to get into the whole political side of things with sure. this. We're going to talk about the movie side. Sure. This all got triggered, supposedly, because North Korea, not very happy about a little film coming out called The Interview, starring uh, James Franco and Seth Rogen, which the plot of that revolves around a, a television personality and producer traveling to North Korea but being recruited by the CIA to assassinate Kim Jong-un while there. Gotcha. Obviously, you take a leader who might be a little on the sensitive side. That subject matter may not rub too well. Which already, obviously, you know, not political, but you, North Korea and other countries in the world, specifically the United States, don't actually don't see eye to eye on things. Right. So you know that you kind of yeah. know where your territory you're headed. You into. know, I think we even talked about it a few months ago when they were talking about the interview coming out Christmas. I think we even alluded to the fact that, ooh, that's a little interesting yeah. to make a movie with that subject matter. I wonder if there's any kind of retaliation. Well, it seems sure like there not. was. So let's just talk about what this means. I'm not the kind of guy that likes to sit here and say that all this confidential data that came out of Sony Pictures... I don't really feel like the press should be taking it and just 
blowing it out and just hyping it up like they are. Okay. I don't think that's the right thing to do. So I don't really want to get into the whole interpersonal workings of Sony pictures because that's not really too important to me. There were a couple of things, though, that it's interesting to hear some of the notes about production of films that Sony's working on. Hmm. Okay. One of those in particular being the film Jobs. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, there's actually a lot of stuff that came out about the Jobs movie. You know, Sony had that the rights to do that. They were planning on producing it. Okay. Just recently, they basically sold the rights to, I think, Universal, if I remember correctly. I don't remember exactly who. Hmm. Um, and, you know, they've gone through a lot of drama with who's the lead actor playing Steve Jobs in the Jobs movie. Uh, for a good while, it was going to be Christian Bale. Christian Bale, right. Christian Bale, and it was going to be David Fincher was going to be attached. Right. That was kind of the combination. Those two were together on that. Well, then either one of those two stepped away and then the other one did as well is what I believe happened there. So then they got some other conversations going. Danny Boyle Danny got Boyle. attached. Yeah, we've reported some of the stuff on the show. Yeah, Danny yeah. Boyle was attached to supposedly he really wanted Leonardo DiCaprio in there, but that didn't work out. So now we've gotten to a point where the latest name to be attached, and I think this is a pretty much a done deal, is Michael Fassbender hmm. playing Steve Jobs. Interesting. But what was interesting is that Turned out all along in, in the Sony Pictures, there was a lot of drama going on with how they handled this film. Really? Supposedly it got to be very messy. Uh, David Fincher was attached to do jobs, but then Angelina Jolie has a Cleopatra movie coming out. Okay. And she was trying to get David Fincher to be the director on that. Hmm. And she that's where some more of the words came between her and some other executives at Sony because the implication was that, well, you're taking David Fincher and putting him on the Jobs movie, which means I can't have him for Cleopatra. That caused conflict. Gotcha. Supposedly, David Fincher is going to do Cleopatra with Angelina Jolie. Really? Is what I've heard as of recently. Hmm. Which means that's why he's not doing the Jobs movie. I got you. Um, right now, what I'm hearing, Danny Boyle directing, Michael Fassbender as the lead actor. Wow. And then Kate Winslet supposedly just signed on for a lead female role in the movie, although we don't know if it's going to be a relative of Jobs. Maybe she can't be his daughter. Right. Uh, some thoughts are maybe it's like the PR chief at Apple who's a female. Okay. Who, this movie's supposed to be positioned over three big public events. Okay. So the movie takes place over three time periods all centered around big keynote events that Steve Jobs is going to deliver. So I would imagine probably the PR chief might have a lot of play within those that script. Mm-hmm. But suppose this film was a lot of consternation for Sony. They did sell it off. I think somebody else is now producing it and running with it. Hmm. I don't think I've heard of a film that could be this high-profile film to go through this much drama and change over several months and still not get started filming yet. Right, so. yeah, that's that's unusual. I have to say, though, Michael Fassbender, I, I think he'll be good. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, I like him anyway. The but. interesting thing is it, it, Sony's perception of, of Fassbender is that he's not bankable enough. That really? he would actually not hurt. He would actually not really help the box office at all. Huh. Uh, which, now granted, that may have been the case nine months ago. I'm almost wondering, though, that since 12 Years a Slave and some of the recognition he got from that. And the X-Men movies. The X-Men movie playing Magneto again yeah. in Days of Future Past. Doing Frank as a little independent quirky film. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if his bankability is now considered higher or not. But I, I think he's... If you can't get Christian Bale, who i got to tell you, would have been perfect as Steve Jobs. Yeah. Just from an appearance and intensity standpoint. Right. If you can't get him, I think Fassbender's going to be great. So. Yeah. Hmm. So that's the Jobs of the movie. That, some interesting notes came out of that. Absolutely. Um, 
the other piece of no, news, just to harken back to my fanboy crushed award hmm. for Spider-Man that I mentioned. Okay. Sony also is the, the company that manages the Spider-Man property on film. Gotcha. They have not been doing a very stellar job of managing that property in recent years. Uh, and, you know, they, they rebooted the film series and they released these last two, which didn't get a lot of great acclaim, didn't do as good a box office, especially this last one. Sure. So then for months after Amazing Spider-Man 2 came out, you heard all this scrambling of, well, we're going to try this kind of Spider-Man movie. Oh, we're going to try this kind of Spider-Man movie. We're going to do these spinoffs and we're going to build this whole universe. Well, now in light of this whole Sony network hack issue, Mm -hmm. I mean, personally, I think this is something that's actually going to impact that studio for quite some time. And it's actually going to cause them to have to either get rid of some of their franchises or downscale some of their production. Hmm. Cause I think they've got a lot of internal issues. Now they've got to deal with, with all this information being leaked, sure. all this dirty laundry being leaked and all that. The Spider-Man franchise is one that supposedly is up for play right now. Hmm. Marvel really wants to bring Spider-Man into their movie, which universe. is owned by Disney, owned by Disney. Disney owns Marvel. Marvel does the Avengers, does all the other superhero ones that they've got. Right. They don't own Spider-Man. They don't own the X-Men. Now, does Sony own the X-Men? No. No. Fox okay. does. Fox. Yeah, okay. Fox owns X-Men. And supposedly, yeah, Sony and Marvel are supposedly trying to talk and figure out if there's a way to maybe share Spider-Man. I think mm-hmm. Sony's probably looking at it as like, yeah, we don't know what hey, to do we it. don't know what to do with it. <laughs> so maybe you guys can help and we can make some money off of it. Hmm. But um, I'll tell you, there will be a lot of... <laughs> fanboy head exploding if Spider-Man gets woven into the whole woven, Marvel universe. Like in thing. a web. Yeah, nice. I, I planned that out. That's I good. had it written down right here. <laughs> woven. Um, huh. So that was another little thing that kind of came out of this hack because I actually think it's going to have some ramifications on what Sony is able to do or not do with certain film properties going forward. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's hmm. a very interesting time. So, you know, that it's just really fascinating when a movie studio is kind of, the covers are lifted, all this stuff is aired, and then you've got budgets and salaries of different people being promoted and publicized. All these internal emails where producers at, uh, or executives at Sony are bad-mouthing certain actors and actresses. Hmm. I mean, think about all the bad blood that's now being generated that they're sure. going to, to to manage. So I really think it's, it's, I think it's really interesting what could happen with the studio in the coming years because of that. Hmm. Um, I think Sony, does Sony have the James Bond franchise too? I can't remember if they no, do or not. But they've got a few franchises that they're still trying to trying to pump out and make work. So uh, it's just a very interesting time from a movie standpoint, just to know that you know a country now this whole geopolitical thing has kind of gotten involved and it's actually affected the movies that we're probably going to be seeing hmm. in the coming years. Yeah, but I heard that. Um, which maybe when you were going to mention, there was a Steve Carell movie that he was going to come out with that was based on a graphic novel called Pyong Pang or something like that. And it mm. was a similar type idea of the interview. And now that has been scrapped. Wow. And he was all cranky about that. Well, before we get back to our list, Chris, let me just ask your opinion. So sure. Sony made the decision to not release the interview on Christmas Day because there were not only all the hacks and more information kept getting dumped out, but then the hackers, be it North Korea or whoever, mm-hmm. made basically a threat to anybody who went to theaters to see it that a 9-11 style type of attack at some degree. Right. Knowing all that, Sony gave the different theater chains the option of not showing the film if they chose to. Many chains backed out of showing it. Sony then just immediately, pretty quickly said, okay, we're just going to cancel the the film then. 
what's your take on that? I mean, is that was that the right thing to do, or do you feel like it was a a knee jerk reaction to a bad situation? It was it was a bad situation, and I know it's all about business. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I think. I admire them for saying, you know, hey, theaters, if you don't want to show it, you don't have to. Not forcing them to show it. I think that's cool. But then pulling it all together, I feel like this has been pretty well publicized. And if there are some theaters that want to show it and then people want to go see this movie knowing that, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but putting your live on the line, I don't think because I don't think. But, you know, as long as there's awareness, then I feel like it's a shame that they just blocked it all together because yeah. then, you know, I don't know. I feel like it may have been a little hasty on their side. But Well, I, I do think it speaks to a bigger question or issue about censorship in this country. And I mean, mm-hmm. it makes me yeah. a little worried to think, sure. that, you know, hacker groups, which I'm on record as saying I'm afraid hacking of lar- at this kind of scale is only going to continue to grow. Um, so could hackers, other countries, uh, political groups um, – uh, the other social groups kind of have this much influence to basically keep films from being released. That's the big question I've got with it. Right. So I am encouraged today. I think it just came out in the news today as we record this, that Sony is going to allow independent theaters and uh, that want to show it to go ahead and start booking it. So it looks like they are starting to let it get out there. I don't know if this film's any good or not, but I think we're just talking more about the idea of sure. a film is being made. That may be controversial, but it still has a right to be seen. Right. You know, regardless of if it's good or bad, yeah. it should still have a right to be seen. You know? And, you know, and the thing is, I kind of look at those those threats that the hackers made about you know the theaters and it'll be 9-11 style attacks if you go. To me, it's almost like we know what happened on 9-11, but yet millions of people still go to New York City. Right. Okay. I think the idea of saying that I'm not going to go to a movie theater because another hacker group or country said that there may be something that happens when there's thousands of theaters across the United States, to me, is just for Cerny to, to kind of retreat like they did, unless it was a financial decision. If they realized that us putting the film out with only two or three movie chains showing it, we won't make our money back, so let's find a different route. I got a feeling that may be a little bit more of what's going on. I don't think it was necessarily a, we're going to pull the film because we want to be conscientious and safe. It was probably more of a matter of, wow, we're going to lose our shirt on this. Let's regroup and figure out a different strategy. Hmm. You know, anyway. Okay. That's all the new stuff I want to go over. Let's get back to our fun stuff with the list if we can. Um, What we did before the break is we actually were going through some of our other random categories like best surprise, best discovery, biggest regret, Biggest disappointment for the year. So with that, Chris, let's get right into our top four. And what okay. we're going to do is each of us alternate, counting from four to one. Just tell us the film. Tell us why it, it made your, the top of your list. And then we'll allow the other one to argue uh, <laughs> incessantly if we don't agree with it. Sounds fair enough. Yep. Well, my number four is Blue Ruin. Oh, just talked a lot, just yeah. talked a lot about it, so I won't really go into uh, a lot of uh, further discussion on it. But it... It's it's up there, um, so I I encourage everybody to get out and see it. I think it would actually be on more people's top five or top you know whatever list if more people had seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, I think come Oscar time stuff like that, this will probably slip away just because the distribution wasn't there. Yeah, but uh, it's it's my number four. So Chris, I great that that's a good pick, and again another reason for me to want to make sure I see it. Sure, uh, I got a technicality issue. Okay. So I have two different options for number four, and it all depends on how you answer this question, which one I go with. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Great Beauty 
I know it won Foreign Pitcher for 2013. Correct. But technically, it didn't come out in the United States until 2014. And that's when we saw it. Right. Do I count The Great Beauty as a 2014 film or a 2013 film? I think since you saw it in 2014 and it has managed to stay that high on your list this whole time, then I say, I say it can okay. be 2014. All right. Well, and you'd probably be happy with making that choice because if The Great Beauty was not number four, Interstellar would be. Oh, then absolutely. <laughs> so let me go with The Great Beauty then <laughs> okay. uh, and just say that that's my number four. Granted, technicality, it's definitely a 2013 release film. I just don't think many people in America had a chance to see it until 2014. Sure. Um, this is a film I've seen three times now and still wow. absolutely love this film. Okay. Uh, we showed it at a foot candle screening. It is an Italian film by Paolo Sorrentino. Uh, you've got Tony Severo as Jep Gambardella, who is a kind of a playboy uh, celebrating his 65th birthday. This is a very surreal Italian film. It doesn't really have as much of a story as it's more you're experiencing the life through this guy. Both the quiet summer moments and the outlandish rooftop party moments. And the fact that this film is able to balance some scenes of true beauty, I thought, with some scenes of decadence and just over-the-top gaudiness. And it managed that balance and it kept you engaged the whole time. I still absolutely love this film. I did see it very early in the year. So, you know, the fact you're like you said, the yeah, fact it's that it's stuck in my you. head for the last 12 months really sure. is saying a lot for it. Sabrina Ferrelli plays Ramona, who is an interesting character, pops up about halfway through the film and carries a significant role. There's a lot of this movie that actually is going to echo another one of my top four in a little bit that I'm not going to spoil yet. Okay. But it has to do with this kind of little bit dealing with the past, a little bit of wrestling with the past, a little bit of perception of who you are as an individual and a person. You're hitting another stage in your life and you're questioning a lot of things about your life. The Great Beauty does a lot of that. So really, really like this film a lot. And like I said, if somebody wanted to knock it out for technicality, Interstellar would be number four because I <laughs> still love Interstellar, despite what Mr. Fry may say. Okay. So with that, Chris, what is your number three? My number three is a movie that I just caught up with recently, and I am very, very, very glad I did. It's uh, John Michael McDonough's Calvary. Mm, okay. And it stars a really stellar performance from uh, Brendan Gleeson as a priest in a small Irish community, and the film opens up. He's in a confessional, as priests get to do as part of their job description, and someone comes in there. You do not see this person, and they say, I'm going to kill you. You have seven days to kind of get your life in order, and then I'm going to come kill you. Wow. The priest, hearing this person's voice, knows who it is. Okay. He then spends the following week talking to his parishioners, trying to get his life in order. They don't know that he's doing that, but, you know, just kind of touching base with different people and knowing that he has this confrontation that's coming up to him on a Sunday. And it's just the the dramatic tension of that. So it's kind of a mystery, Yeah. but it's more about just how people deal with life, how they interact with each other, how you treat one another. Um, It's just, it is very interesting. And Brendan Gleeson in that opening scene where he has this conversation where he finds out he's going to die or somebody's going to kill him. um, He, it's a one take and it just focuses on Brendan Gleeson the whole Mm. time. And to be able to carry that off for, it's like a three minute scene. And normally, you know, I would get a little antsy in that and you don't, you feel like it's like 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. Like you don't really notice 
how much time has passed when mm-hmm. that scene finishes. And that's wow. before the title comes up. Oh, they tell wow. the name of the movie. It's just very, it's a very unique movie, a very interesting movie. Um, and he did another film, I think we may have reviewed on the show, The Guard, yeah, we did. a while back. We and, showed it at our, our film society a couple, a few years ago. Right. And so this is his second film. So it's better than The Guard. Yeah, I liked The Guard. Yeah. But it was it was more typical. Yeah, and Brendan Gleeson was, was in that as well, mm-hmm. actually. Um, but this is more more original. Okay. Um, and I highly recommend it both for the performance and just for the overall film. And one last little bonus. Mm-hmm. The last shot of this movie is one of the best last shots I've seen in a long time. We see, I've actually heard so much about not only the opening scene, but the closing shot from so many people. So, and neither one you would ever get in a Hollywood movie. Wow. So that, for that reason, it's my number three. Well, after hearing you talk about it in the office the other day, it has grown on my list now. So blue ruin and Calvary are definitely two. I've got high up there to see. So, so far your, your top four, <laughs> I'm batting over two on the ones that you've, uh, you've seen there. So, um, okay, Chris. So since I didn't get to talk about interstellar, which I know you did not like, right. I will talk about a film that I definitely know you did not like, Uh-oh. <laughs> but it is my number three and it is very much in connection with the great beauty. Cause I see a lot of similarities here. It's Birdman. Okay. I still am thinking about Birdman seeing it twice at our film society screenings. I really, really do love this film. Hmm. I will give you that the ending the last five to 10 minutes are the least impressive part of the film for me. Okay. But I can't knock the entire rest of the experience for that last 10 minutes. To me, the movie works. I wish the ending had been a little bit more succinct. Okay. A little bit more pointed. I think you and I think you and I with Abigail as our guest last time, we even described what would be the perfect ending for that <laughs> film. And I still say that would be the perfect ending. Sure. We didn't get the perfect ending, but that's Okay. If it had had a perfect ending, it'd probably be my number one film of the year. As it is, it's my number three. I still love this film. Michael Keaton, I thought, was absolutely wonderful. Ed Norton was great. I personally loved the constant camera movement, even though I know several people thought it was more of a gimmick. Okay. Uh, I liked it. I thought it worked really well. I love the, the comments and the critique of Hollywood and of playwrights. And... I do believe, Chris, contrary to what you think, I do think the director has some moments of poking fun at himself as well or criticizing himself. I I hope he does. And at some point, maybe I'll go back and get to watch this one again. And hopefully I'll see those. Yeah. And that I would think, soften my back, tone. I think he does. That would soften the tone of my evisceration of this yeah. movie and specifically the director. I don't think this is a horrible movie. I, under, I hear everything you're saying yeah. and I understand why you like the movie. It's that problem that that blood feud that I have with uh, in R two that I can't get over. But maybe you guys, you guys are always bashing each other on Twitter and everything. It's and really maybe annoying. I can go back and see some of the you feel like where he's actually poking fun at himself. So I need to go back and see it again. Yeah. I think okay, but that is my number three. Okay, and like I said, I do think it's kind of a companion piece with the great beauty. There's a certain reason I like these films that have such passion and energy behind them. The camera moves a lot, both in the Great Beauty and definitely in Birdman. You've got people who are hitting a different stage in their life, remembering their glory days, flashbacks that kind of play into the great beauty, thinking back at a younger time. We don't have any flashbacks with Birdman, but we do have him with his inner monologue reminding him of what his life used to be. Sure. They've entered a new stage in their life, and they're trying to still be relevant. 
that's a really big commentary on both the films. Um, the Great Beauty does it through some very interesting scenes and playing with time a little bit. And there's still one scene in The Great Beauty in an old diner that he shows up in. I still have no idea what that's <laughs> what's about, and I'm fascinated by that. Birdman doesn't go quite as surreal, but it does have its moments where it does start to dance in that area a bit. So I love these two films back to back. It'd be a great double feature for me. I would have a really good time with that. So that's okay. my number three. Okay. So Chris, what do you have as your number two film? Uh, my number two is Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin. Uh, this yes. was released in 2013, but I think it was only overseas. We got to see it in 2014, so here it is on my list. Sure. And I think a lot of people yeah, are I the think same that, way. That, that works for Under the Skin. Yeah. Uh, we discussed it here on the show. It's the uh, sci-fi that takes place in Scotland with Scarlett Johansson being this person, alien, that basically stalks men mm-hmm. and um, leads them back to her lair and then does something Um, that's just kind (laughs) of left best left that way um but the the feel to this movie and just from the way it's shot and a lot of it's at night i think most of it takes place at night some is maybe early dusk or whatever but a lot of it's like a lot of it's night there are some scenes during the daytime but not many and just the feel of it the score Mm. and it's just it just puts this in this mood and I was very receptive to this movie. Like it just was hitting on all cylinders. Yeah. Um, really liked it. Scarlett Johansson. I've liked her before, but in this role, she just really, you know, she's not having to act a lot or is she, you know, she's kind of like a blank slate and she mm. uses her beauty, which, you know, she does all the time in other movies, but in this, it's kind of like, she's like a Venus flytrap yeah. leading people in and, you know, it's just, well, it plays off of her. Sure. It plays off of her beauty. And, and I think it actually plays off of her acting style a little bit that some people can be critical of. Mm-hmm. It actually plays on that as a strength in this character that she plays here. And this movie was unlike anything I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. And it also used, we talked about a little bit in the review, some people that were not actors. Yeah. So they had some people that were actors and some people that weren't actors. And they would, she drives around in this van and apparently sometimes the people that would get in the van didn't know they were being shot. And so, you know, not a Borat type thing, but you know what I mean? No. It kind of yeah, they're captured. not ambushing people, but they really wanted it to be natural. Right. You know? And I really felt that came across and makes it that much more unsettling. Yeah. Um, the ending to this film, very bizarre. Um, yes. And just very, Kind of out in left field. Right. And, but I liked it. Yeah, I did too. You know, um, I liked where it ended. Uh, no, I'm, I'm with you on this. This is just out of my top four, okay. maybe number five or six. Okay. Um, I really did like this film too. Even though I had a horrible viewing experience watching it through iTunes where it mm. kept crapping out on me. I had to watch it on three different devices oh, wow. to even finish the movie. I've not watched it in a continuous experienced yet and i know i need to do that and that that would take you have to be patient with it because there's there is action but it is deliberately paced you know very deliberately so and if you were watching it and you had all those problems that would be that'd be painful i gotta think if i had a really good theater experience to watch this movie it may have been in my top three by the end of the year um but no i'm with you i think it's a great film it's one of those i definitely want to watch again sure um it just, yeah, it just worked for me as well. Okay. Good. Uh, my number two is a film that I know you're, you're, you're a fan of as well. Uh, my previous two, number three and number four, were both kind of audacious and a lot of big stars, hmm. uh, a lot of camera movement, a lot of uh, dream sequences and fantasy mixed in and all that. Number two is complete opposite. 
Short Term 12. I love Short Term 12. It's a good one. It almost became kind of a discovery for me because I do think the director, you know, really hit on some good, honest performances here. Destin Daniel Cretton. Brie Larson could also have been a discovery for me, but I did remember seeing her. I believe she was in uh, 21 Jump Street. She's Mm. been on Community. She's been on some other programs before, I think, or movies. Not 21 Jump Street. She was a... she was actually in The Spectacular Now. She was. Yeah. She was the girlfriend of Miles So there Taylor. were other movies yeah. I'd seen her in, and I knew she was good. So I can't really say she was a discovery with this movie. But this is the best I've seen her be, and she carried the movie as well. You talk about a film that basically centers around a, a, a kind of a residential treatment facility for kids that have had some issues or are not welcome in their family anymore. She plays a counselor. Her boyfriend is also a counselor there. Mm-hmm. Um you really get to know the characters, both the counselors and the kids they're dealing with. And there's nothing superficial about this film. The way they interact with the kids, every single beat I watched, I knew that's natural. That is exactly how I would expect people to be in that situation. Right. The dialogue between Brie Larson's Grace and her uh, boyfriend or fiance Mason, so authentic as well. The way they respond to each other when she would have some moments where she kind of lost a little control and was going down a deep path. He was, he didn't respond in this cliche Hollywood way. He responded like a guy would when your girlfriend is kind of freaking out, you sure. know, and it's just the whole way they, they blended these, these characters together, showed you this environment that they worked in. It was not patronizing. It was not condescending to the kids. It was not trying to be in some sort of inspirational film. It was just, let's just show you what this life is like and the people who are kind of dealing with their own personal things at the same time. So I thought the film was really, really good, very powerful. So it was a, uh, is up there, my number two of the year. Cool. Number one for me was a film that when we reviewed it, I was very, very high on, and but it came out in early 2014 in either February or March, maybe March. Okay. And it was the Lego Movie. Ah. And I would wow. not feel as strong as saying that you know, oh, it still holds up. But I just reached with my flu. I was sick. My son had recently gotten a copy of the Lego movie. He wanted to watch it. I was like, awesome. Put it in. I can lay here on the couch, drink some orange juice, and watch it. And I was worried because I thought, you know, I really liked this movie. Yeah. Is it going to be even halfway interesting because I'm on lots of medication? Will I fall asleep <laughs> 10 minutes yeah. into it? It held my interest. I heard jokes that I or saw jokes and realized jokes that I didn't realize the first time through with the movie. Mm-hmm. It held up to me. I still liked it just as much as I did the first time. Still got a little choked up at some points that I did the first time because of what it tries to say, what it does say, without being too heavy-handed, I think. Pretty powerful for a kid's movie that's based on plastic blocks. Um, And in a way, I would have to say, although we've already done our biggest surprises, my son wanted really bad to go see this movie when it was in the theater. We'd seen previews of it because we'd Mm. been through Christmas because it didn't come out until like February or March. And he kept saying, Dad, I want to say, I'm like, okay, hoping that he would forget. (laughs) But no, due to television and friends at school, he knew when this movie was going to come out. And he asked me the weekend, and I was like, okay, son, we can go see it. I was so dreading this movie. Yeah. And I could not believe that I liked it so much. And it wasn't just initial shock because, like I said, I watched it again and it held up for me. So, all right. you know, after all those little artsy movies, the mega hit, the Lego movie, is my number one movie of 2014. Okay. Well, we have some interesting synergies here. <laughs> okay. 
I was not as high on the Lego movie as you were. I still think it's a good movie. It was a surprising movie, better than I would have expected, but it still just was a little more, a little too frenetic for me at times, hmm. a little too, a little too much. Um, but I do like the way it ended. I like the, the kind of the breaking a little bit of the fourth wall kind of approach to it at times. And sure. it worked for me really well there. But I'll say synergy because I'm the same way. My two, three, and four picks were more independent, a little more art films, and my number one is absolutely not. It's actually the biggest film of the year, box office-wise, and it starred the star of your Lego movie, Mr. Chris Pratt, ah, Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. I rate a movie, Chris, when I look at this list at the end of the year, I look at any movie I go to is, do if I walk out of a movie theater or finish putting down my remote and watching a movie, and I immediately say to myself, I want to watch this again with my wife, mm-hmm. my family, somebody. That's a sign for me that I really connected with the movie. Gotcha. And in all these movies, I wanted to see it again with somebody. Birdman, I was ready to watch it the second night of our film society meeting. Okay. Uh, Great Beauty, I was desperately waiting for it to come out on Netflix so I could show it to my wife. Okay. Um, Short Term 12, I desperately want to watch again with somebody. In Guardians of the Galaxy, as soon as I came out of the movie theater, I was ready to see it again. And I could not wait for her to come on DVD so I could show my entire family at one time. I mean, this movie just really, really worked for me. I love superhero movies that are well done. Mm-hmm. And there have been a glut of those lately that have been a little bit more difficult to cipher through and find the good ones. Sure. Any movie where you've got an extremely powerful opening scene, much, much more powerful than I would have expected for a superhero movie, space movie, mm-hmm. weaving in a 1970s soundtrack that is just perfectly chosen for the right scenes you mix in a really really good healthy dose of humor both through chris pratt bradley cooper's rocket the raccoon everybody putting in their a game on the comedy side sure and even though i generally hate overdone cgi movies this one didn't bother me even in the big fight sequences at the end that were very big very heavy cgi a lot of space battles it worked for me it was okay this is the closest i felt in a movie to and I'm not saying, I'm not being sacrilegious. This is the closest I have felt in a movie to a Star Wars type I got original trilogy feel where I love the characters. I really want to see the next movie they're in. I really mm-hmm. want to learn a little bit more backstory and maybe find out some secrets about uh, Peter Quill's father and find out who he is and all these things. It's the closest Star Wars experience I've had that I was sorely missing from the prequels. Gotcha. I got it here in this movie and it just worked. I've seen it now three times. Love it. I think it's a wonderful movie. And the fact that, uh, you know, they, they really turned something that could have been a really a bad a joke, could have been a really feeble attempt at just cashing in on some extra characters, turned into such a great, powerful film, actually, emotional film at times, uh, and funny film. Really, I was really impressed with it. I, it did not, obviously, has did make my top four, but it is definitely one of the top films of the year for me. I need to go back. I've only seen it once, mm. and that kind of hinders it a little bit because I remember when we reviewed it here on the show, some of my hang-ups were that there was kind of a lot going on. Not frenetic pacing like the Lego movie, but story-wise. There I was a lot of names and, and right. people that you get introduced to quickly that in the end you don't really need to know. I mean that's the thing is you kind of have to just ignore all that setup stuff at the beginning because it doesn't really matter. And if I was able to do that, then it could have washed over me maybe a little mm-hmm. bit easier. And I still got on board with the movie, but there in the opening 15 minutes or so, I was confused and kind of like, do right. what? You know, so 
I need to give it another look, but definitely still a really good movie. I'll have to check it out again. So how funny is it that you and I both, after going through three top choices of very smaller, letter, letter, lesser known independent films, Oscar nominated films, and we both end up with a Chris Pratt starring <laughs> uh, big budget, big action movie. That Those two films probably are, I know Guardians of the Galaxy is the top box office movie of the year. Hmm. Lego movie, I'm sure, is in the top five or six somewhere. I mean, it's, it made a uh, lot of banks so. at the movie theater. So uh, pretty interesting, huh? Yeah. In yeah. the end, the big budget entertainment can still win out, guys. So Hollywood. Yeah, that's right. We're not. I'm no. not a complete movie yeah. snob. Hollywood, <laughs> well done. You turned out a couple good films this year, so we appreciate that. <laughs> so now, Chris, we got to get to the end here. Got a couple more things to go over. Yes. So we have to hit this one. Yes. What was the worst film you saw? That came out in 2014. Without a doubt, the one that had I not been there with my children and I could have walked out of the theater, I probably would have, even though it's kind of like the moviegoers code. You don't walk out because, mm. you know, it's like you got to respect the movie. But Rio 2, man. Wow, Rio really? 2. Yeah. So bad. Never saw the original, but it has one of the guys from Fly of the Concords in it. And I'd heard the music from my kids. So I was like, okay, you know, the Jesse Eisenberg is one of the major characters. And Hathaway well. too, right? And Hathaway. So I was like, okay, I'll go see the sequel. Cause I bet it'll, you know, maybe it won't be as good as the first, but you know, who cares? It'll at least be entertaining. I was so bored. Wow. This entire movie, it was not interesting at all. You know, from the very opening, it's like, Oh, they're going to go down to, I think they actually travel to Rio. They travel to somewhere to find this original group of birds or something. It was just so hmm. dumb. Wow. So dumb. And the, the songs that they did have in there weren't good at all. Um, man, it was just, it was so painfully bad. Rio 2. Even though I think the movie was probably only 70 or 80 minutes, it felt like it was longer <laughs> than Battle of the Five Armies. I mean, it was so long and painful so wow. that, that was without a doubt well i didn't have the, the worst movie i didn't have the privilege of getting to see rio 2 oh. uh, again my my movie going year 2014 i saw a good handful of films but luckily i didn't see many bad films well and that's you know i feel pretty lucky too because if i know something's bad generally i won't go yeah. see it you know but the kids wanted to go see it so i was like ah, somehow i lucked up this year and the only <laughs> movies my kids wanted to go see were the really good movies. That's good. So we actually lucked up pretty well on that. So, um, no, the movie that I think is the worst film I saw was definitely not one I saw with the kids. Um, a million ways to die in the West. Oh man. The Seth MacFarlane film. Oh man. Um, that one just did not work at no. all. And you know, the fact of the matter is when I looked at my list, there's only two or three movies on my entire list. I can look at and say were bad movies. This one it wasn't that it was the worst movie that could have been possibly made this year. It's just that the ambition behind it, the rationale behind it, so many things just didn't work. You know, mm -hmm. it was Seth MacFarlane in a starring role, which I think a number one did not <laughs> work. Idea. You know, he wanted a slapstick Western movie. I mean, at moments it was kind of like an airplane naked gun type movie. Other times it was not. Then it had more, kind of dramatic moments to it. Mm -hmm. You never quite understood how it is that Seth MacFarlane's character talks like he's in modern day, but yet he's in the old West and there's, it's all just doesn't make sense. I mean, there, and, and it, I'm not saying a film has a comedy has to explain everything or, or make sense, but it just, when so many things seem to be firing in different directions, it just didn't work. And I still to this day can get so angry thinking about Charlize Theron 
who's a good actress. Yes. Having to sit there in scenes and having to laugh. Fake laugh. Responding to something <laughs> funny that Seth MacFarlane said still yes. irritates me to think about. Yes. So this is where Hubris just got the most of this guy. I think, uh, you know, he tried to put a song and dance in there that was very forgettable, didn't work at all. Which, very disappointing. considering the fact Neil Patrick Harris, as I mentioned in our review, yeah. like he's such a talented guy just, and he's wasted. You just blew it. Yeah. So all that said, when I look back at the year. Uh, yeah, I had some chuckles in it. There were a couple moments that were funny, but overall, it was the least of the films I saw this year, for sure. I, I would, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> but again, you know, looking at my list, the good thing is, you know, it's the films I saw were pretty good. I got very fortunate this year. That's good. So now, Chris, uh, so a million ways to die in the West and Rio Two, we're not recommending you go out and check out. But <laughs> hopefully, if you have not seen some of the films we mentioned as our surprises, discoveries in our top four. Many of them are now available to watch. Not all of them, but many of them are available to watch uh, on Netflix or DVD as well. So some ones you can check out. I know Guardians of the Galaxy is out on DVD and uh, iTunes. Short Term 12 is on Netflix mm-hmm. right now, which is really cool. Uh, the Great Beauty is on Netflix as well. Uh, with your top four, uh, Blue Ruin is, I think, on Netflix. Uh, it may be. It's definitely on iTunes, and it okay. may be on Netflix. It yeah. may be. I, I might be thinking it is. Uh, Lego movie is out on iTunes and DVD Amazon and, and yeah, anything yeah, else you can buy as well. So, you know, a lot of these movies are, you can see, which is mm-hmm. really cool. Absolutely. Um, so with that, Chris, let's just talk really quickly about the coming year, 2015. I know there's a lot of big movies coming out next year. There's also some good small movies coming out next year. You've got a few kind of picked out that you're really looking forward to this coming year. You want to regale us with some of those? Uh, sure. I'd, I picked, I tried to do since 2015, ends in a five. I said, well, I'll I'll come up with five. So I have five. Um, No surprise to anyone listening to this show, but one of the top top ones is probably the new Star Wars, The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens. Somehow, George Lucas didn't kill my inner child Mm -hmm. with the prequels that he did. Yeah. Um, I don't know how, but he didn't. And uh, just seeing the trailer that I've, I watched because I knew it was a teaser, wasn't going to give anything away. And, you know, seeing the Millennium Falcon and seeing the crazy weirdo new version of a lightsaber that comes on, I'm like, I'm there. So you I'm, did you did watch the preview? I did. Yeah, I have too. I watched it a few times. And I'm... I'm, I'm I like the boy. fact that it's enough of a teaser where I still don't know what's going on. Right. But it's given me a sense of the mood of the film, which I like. So, mm-hmm. in the style. So I'd, I'm I'm looking I'm really looking forward to the new Star Wars. Do you want me to just run through? Yeah, all I want you to go on through, and I'll add any others I think of. Uh, the next one, which I've actually this is kind of rare, but I've also seen a trailer for this one. <laughs> I normally try to stay away from trailers, but it's the Knight of Cups, oh, which right. is the mm-hmm. Terrence Malick Terrence film Malick. coming out with Mr. Christian Bale, and it's he's either is he a movie star or a rock star i can't remember from the trailer but he's one of the two basically it's dealing with fame okay and dealing with popularity and it shows a lot of shots of this person at press conferences i think he is a musician actually now mm. that i think about it but terrence malick taking his you know scene aesthetic and then turning it into like a commentary on fame mm-hmm. to be something that i don't think he's ever done before you know he does all these other period pieces like tree of life is obviously just about life or um the one he did with uh john smith and pocahontas or you know the new world you know it's like he does these other ones but it's to turn it particularly to the american experience with like fame i just think that's going to be very interesting and the Mm -hmm. shots in this trailer were amazing so i'm i'm really looking forward to that i'm hopeful he can rebound a little bit from to the wonder 
because that movie, I still have a hard time with that film. Well, and I don't, yeah. It, and I felt like that was just kind of leftovers from the tree of life. Cause the yeah. tree of life I thought was amazing. Like yeah, me too. And yeah, to the one, what was it? To the wonder, to the wonder, to the wonder. Yeah. I thought that that was just, wasn't that great, but you know, the shots were great, mm. but I feel like with subject matter, that's going to be interesting. Kind of drive it forward with, Madica, I hope so. so. And Christian Bale in there too. Natalie Portman, I think, is in it. Yes, uh, she is. So you know, it's it could be interesting. I'm not a huge Ben Affleck fan, so to the wonder right away had a kind of a strike against it because of that. Sure. Christian Bale in a, in a Terrence Malick film could be really, really interesting. Sure. So yeah, okay. Uh, next up, my man, Mr. Tarantino, is coming out with the Hateful Eight. Yes, I know. You know, you said up. Oh, you know, it was leaked on Gawker. He's like, okay, I'm not going to do it. Then he had a table read, and he's like, well, maybe I will do it. Yeah. Well, supposedly now he is doing the Hateful Eight, and about slavery again. I think. Um, yeah, I don't. So, honestly, I don't even know much about the synopsis at all. I yeah, know, apparently, uh, I could go online and read the entire script, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, I think, is his. His new Uma Thurman. She's basically uh, hmm. playing one of the leads and cool. kind of a resurrected movie career for her. Uh, and some of his other typical players, I think, are involved as well. I like the fact that, um, oh gosh, I'm already drawn up. Uh, Kurt Russell oh. uh, plays one of them as well. So okay. that'll, be, that'll be fun. Of course, uh, Tarantino got to play with him a little bit in uh, Death Proof and had some fun with his character there. So Description, there again, it's very short. It says, bounty hunters seek shelter from a raging blizzard and get caught up in a plot of betrayal and deception. Eh, Sounds okay. good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. Sure. Yeah, a Tarantino film, I, I, I think, I know the, the purists out there will say that the Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction days were kind of his heyday and Jackie Brown and all. I like those films a lot for, for me. Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained have actually now at a whole nother level performance wise. And Kill Bill. Well, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Kill Bill yeah. started it off for me. Once yeah. you hit Kill Bill, it's like, okay, he's playing at a whole nother level. He's doing now. something, yeah. And then he continued with that Inglorious Bastards, which is still one of my favorite movies of all time. Right. Django Unchained, I thought not as good as Inglorious Bastards, but still really, really, really good. Right. So these last four or five films of his, I've been completely on board with. The only one that was a miss for me was Death Proof. Mm-hmm. That's the only one that just. Didn't fit as well sure. with the other that he's recently done, but I'm on. I'm, I'm my butt's in the seat opening weekend for this. I'm I'm ready. Absolutely, another one that's coming out in 2015 is uh, Jeff Nichols' latest one. Mm-hmm. It's called. It was supposed to. It's actually, I think, originally going to come out in 2014. So it was actually anticipated for that, but didn't come out. So now it's one of my most anticipated for 2015. Midnight Special. Mm-hmm. And brief little description on that. The only thing I have for it is a father and son go on the run after the dad learns his child possesses special powers. So going a little little sci-fi possibly here, which could be interesting. Right, so. which, you know, I like sci-fi. But Jeff Nichols doing sci-fi makes it that even more interesting. Michael Shannon, Kirsten Dunst, Joel Edgerton, Adam Driver. That's oh, wow. Is Adam Driver now? I think he's like – He's going to be in every mandated movie. mandated to be in every movie now. Because <laughs> even the latest – I was going to mention the latest Noah Baumbach film mm. coming out next year, While We're Young. Yes. Starring uh, Ben Stiller and Naomi Watts has Adam Driver in it as well. Okay. So, yeah. And he's in the new Star Wars movie, so it's just like, wow, he's everywhere. Yeah. Sounds like it. <laughs> um, is that your five? I no. have one last one movie, and this that? basically ranks up there because it has a North Carolina tie – uh, Masterminds, the comedy that's going to come out that has Zach Galifianakis. Is that the Owen name of Wilson. it now? Masterminds. That's the latest so name. It was Wells Fargo. Now it's Masterminds. Masterminds, which could be the whole legal thing, changing yeah. it to Masterminds. 
but uh, a night guard at an armored car company in the southern U.S. organizes one of the biggest bank heists in American history, directed by Jared Hess, but stars Kristen Wiig, Owen Wilson, Jason Sudeikis, Zach Galifianakis, and shot here in Asheville, a little bit mm-hmm. in Asheville, North Carolina. So I'm anticipating it for that reason. Um, I hope it's good. I like yeah. to have a comedy as a, something to anticipate as well. No, I agree with you there. So. I'm only going to add two more to the okay. mix. I'm kind of looking forward to you. I mean, the ones you mentioned, yeah, they're all high on my list right now. Um, I'm going to go on record saying, hey, I'm excited about Avengers 2. Why not? <laughs> I think you know, I liked the first Avengers. I didn't love it with quite the fervor that a lot of the fans do. Mm-hmm. But I did really like it. I think this can only get better, possibly. I do trust Joss Whedon to do an even better job now that kind of the setup is out of the way. You can go sure. have fun with it. You can just do story. And just to the villain, the whole evil robot Ultron looks really creepy and good. So I'm, it looks like it may actually be a little darker than the hmm. first one. So I'm, Which could mean I like it, it more. Could, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> okay. But on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, a little small film that I think was supposed to come out this year, but it's now gotten pushed as well. The latest from David Gordon Green, which is a Manglehorn Starring Al Pacino. Okay. Right away, David Gordon Green film with Al Pacino and Holly Hunter in it. And it's, yeah, the storyline, it doesn't matter what the synopsis is, it, <laughs> but it's a Texas set story of a locksmith in a small town who never got over the love of his life. That's it. Hmm. Just idea of Pacino, Holly Hunter doing a David Gordon Green film, kind of about a, maybe a, a little more uh, adult love, you know, a little older, older uh, relationship. All board, ready to go. Fired, yeah. fired, fired up now. I'm ready to see it. <laughs> so take your five at mix in my two. And I think I've got a good seven list of films. I definitely want to see at this point. So yeah, cool. So yeah. There's I'd a f- lot of good totally stuff. Forgotten about Manglehorn, but yeah. that's, yeah, now that's going to have to be on my list. Cause <laughs> we both really like Joe. Yes. Uh, the film he did with Nicholas Cage this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that worked really well. And if he got such a great performance out of Nicholas Cage, I'd love to see another really great Al Pacino performance. Cause we haven't had one in quite a while. True. You know? So, so that's 2015, just a little teasing of some films we're looking forward to there. A lot of good ones coming up. But overall, Chris, it was a really good year in 2014. We had a lot of good movies. I think A couple so. of regrets of films that hopefully we can still squeak in the next few weeks that are 2014 films. Whiplash, Inherent Vice. There's a couple others I know, too. So overall, though, I think a uh, good year and a uh, good countdown. So uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. With that, I think we gave plenty of recommendations of films to check out earlier so. on the list. I think we're good <laughs> on recommendations right now. So what we're going to do is wrap it up for 2014. We just want to take a moment and say thank you to everybody who's been listening and supporting the show all throughout the year. We appreciate all the kind words, reviews, feedback we get. Everything's great. So just uh, you guys listening, kind of keep us doing what we're doing and knowing that we've got some, some people out there checking out our shows and listening to us ramble about movies every couple of weeks. Uh, it's a good feeling. So thanks a lot for that. Um, Chris, how can people learn a little bit more about us or get connected or anything else we've got going on? Well, as you've mentioned, they can go to the mesh.tv and look under foot candle films and that's where you can find a back catalog of all of our episodes. Uh, you can also go to letterbox.com where you can find us under Alan Jackson or Chris Fry and kind of keep track of the movies that we're seeing. And sometimes I try to write little short reviews of movies that I see. So you can look at us on there and find stuff as well. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, exactly right. Check us out. Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Chris, happy 2014 to you. And uh, here's to a, a good 2015 to come. Thank you. Uh, See you in the ticket line. All right. Take care, everybody.
Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.